Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. In late January, the Trump administration began a pilot program on the border between Tijuana and San Diego in which migrants who claim asylum are sent back to wait in Mexico as their asylum claims are processed. This is known formally as the Migrant Protection Protocols and informally as the Remain in Mexico policy. The result has been to turn back individuals, mostly migrants from Central America, before they can even present claims of asylum, and even if they are able to make a formal claim, they must wait in Mexico as their case proceeds over the border in the United States court system. Needless to say, this is almost certainly in contravention of U.S. law regarding asylum, and a test case involving the American Civil Liberties Union is due to be heard in a few weeks. In the meantime, this policy is causing profound harm for asylum seekers. My guest today, Carrie Kennedy, recently returned from a fact-finding trip to Tijuana in which she interviewed people turned away at the border due to this policy. Carrie Kennedy is the Associate General Secretary for International Programs with the American Friends Service Committee. This is, of course, the Quaker Peace and Justice Organization. She spent a week in Tijuana speaking to people impacted by this policy and visiting what are effectively homeless shelters that provide for migrants stranded in this limbo. The picture she paints is pretty grim and conforms with what we already know about the Trump administration's policies of inflicting maximum harm on migrants as a way to deter people from making asylum claims. At time of recording, it appears that the Trump administration is seeking to expand this pilot program from Tijuana to other key border crossings like the Juarez-El Paso border. If you're listening to this contemporaneously, I suspect that you'll start to hear a lot more about this policy as the ACLU lawsuit gets its hearing in the U.S. court system. And this conversation, I think, does a really good job of both explaining the background of this policy and its actual real-life implications on the ground in Tijuana. If you are a regular listener to the show, you know that I have a fairly even-tempered disposition. This conversation, though, got me upset and pretty riled up. If you have the same reaction as I did, you can help raise awareness of this issue by sharing this episode on social media and beyond. Tell all your friends and colleagues about this issue by sharing the show. I will also post a link on Global Dispatches podcast that tells you how to get involved with the work the American Friends Service Committee is doing on this issue. And now here is my conversation with Carrie Kennedy of the American Friends Service Committee. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. 
Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And I was visiting the Mexico team of AFSC. Um, We had provided humanitarian support to the shelters who were working in Tijuana to support the uh, participants from the migration caravans and also people who have migrated or returned to Mexico. Uh, So we were there uh, for five days uh, visiting shelters and meeting with partners. Uh, So Tijuana is sort of ground zero, correct, for the new migrant protection protocol, this new policy that was rolled out by the Trump administration earlier this year. Can you explain what that policy is? And then we'll get into a deeper conversation of of the broader impact and implications of that policy. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we spent most of our time talking to partners about MPP and about the uh, after effects and and what was known and and what's not known. So, Tijuana is um, it's a pilot. There's a pilot program that was instituted by the Trump administration. Um, so you know there's been many many changes made to the asylum process. Um, start from December through today, and uh, what uh, what's going on in Tijuana is that it. Tijuana was named as a pilot program. So so people who are presenting themselves for asylum have to go to the port of entry in Tijuana. Um, they can't go, they can't cross the border at any spot. They can't go across and, and find a um, a border patrol official and, and declare asylum. They have to go through the port of entry. And because of that, um, the United States has formed a partnership with Mexico where Mexico is is creating a list. If you want to go uh, apply for asylum, you go to the Mexican government, you put your name on the list, and then you have to wait. So people have arrived in Tijuana. It's the, the city of migrants. They've arrived uh, from December through through today. Um, it's cold. It's rainy. When we were there, it was, it was really cold. And uh, people just wait with very little information for their name to be called. So it sort of like creates like a a bottleneck, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Without a doubt. The the idea is that, you know, typically, conventionally, the way that this would work is that, you know, people and individuals seeking to claim asylum can present themselves to a border patrol agent or could already be in the United States and and, and claim asylum. Um, But this new sort of MPP, which is sort of like an Orwellian name when you think about it, the Migration (laughs) Protection Protocol, actually serves to increase the vulnerabilities of individuals seeking uh, asylum. Um, You know, they're, they're sort of forced to wait in Mexico as their asylum claims are not even like adjudicated, um, but are are just uh, as they're just trying to make their claim. Correct. That's correct. Yep, that's exactly right. So, and this is this is a real break in the asylum process. I mean, it, it's it's a radical departure, and Mexico has not been deemed a safe third country. So sometimes in a process, in an asylum process. You might work with a government to say, okay, allow asylum seekers to present themselves to a country, say to the United States, and there may be an agreement with another country, a third safe country, that that country has the protections and the protocols to keep the asylum seekers safe. So there might be an agreement that 
um, that you could that asylum seekers could remain in that safe third country while they await the asylum uh, application process. In this case, the Mexican government has 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 strongly said they do not have the protection protocols. They they are not a safe third country, and and yet still. Um, they they have agreed to allow the people who are applying for asylum to remain in Mexico. It's not safe. The Mexican government does not have the capacity to shelter the people that are waiting. So, you know, there's thousands of people and the numbers vary. We talked to many different people to try to figure out how many people exactly were in Tijuana waiting. So the numbers vary, but we know thousands of people are waiting. There have been 104 people that have already submitted to the asylum process, have been given a court date and have returned to Mexico to wait to see what will happen. So most of those people have their court dates the last Last week in March, the earliest I heard was March 20th through March 27th, and we still don't know what will happen then. So, so they they so they go to they present themselves to the, to the Mexican government. They're put on a list. When their name comes up, they go and have their court date in the United States. They, you know, some we, we've talked to a few people. Some people had hours long conversations. Some people had 10 or 15 minute conversations. Nobody was ex- that we spoke with was explicitly asked whether they consent to remain in Mexico, nor whether they feel safe in Mexico. Some people that we met with showed us, everyone showed us their paperwork, and some people had to sign a tiny little footnote that said, I feel safe staying in Mexico. Um, so, and, and some people had forms in English, some people had for, forms in Spanish. So there was really a gap in information. People are going through this process blind. And then, so they go through, they get their court date, they're told to return to Mexico. They're given a list of lawyers. Okay, so we met with a, a, a woman and her seven-year-old daughter who was given a list of lawyers. She was sent back to Mexico. Um, there is a strong uh, coalition a civil society coalition in Tijuana that um, provides shelter. There's a network of nine shelters. And and those shelters are amazing, but they're at capacity. They can only hold about a thousand people. They're already over capacity and they're expecting more and more people to come back. Uh, the Mexican government um, has cut some of the federal funding to these shelters. So they're in an increased space of vulnerability. So this happened when the new president came in in December. So they're they're losing funding. They're over capacity. They're getting more people. Uh, Lawyers in Mexico cannot provide legal support because the court case is going to be in the United States. So even that um, there's no way for them to get legal support. So one this one this one woman was given a list of lawyers and said, here's a list. Call the lawyers and you can get some legal advice um, through through these recommended people. So she made the phone call. She called a, a lawyer and the lawyer said, sure, come to my office. And she said, OK, where are you? She said, I'm in San Diego. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like, you know, that this policy is just transparently um used to uh to to sort of stifle and prevent and 
place barriers and obstacles in front of people seeking to claim asylum. It also seems, and you know, I'm 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 no lawyer, but I can kind of play one on the podcast that <laughs> it's transparently illegal as yeah. well and contravenes U.S. law. And I know there are some cases that are making their way through the U.S. court system right now. Can you talk at all about what those cases are and what the outcome might portend for um, these now hundreds and soon to be thousands of individuals? Uh, awaiting uh, asylum claim, awaiting to present their asylum claims uh, in San Diego on the border. Yes. Yeah, so I also am not a lawyer, but I have been talking to a lot of people about this in Tijuana. So there, it, a lot of it comes down to that that third clause, the safe third country. There is this clause uh, in the asylum process that that would allow you to to keep asylum seekers in that third safe country if both parties agreed. So the Mexican government has been saying uh, publicly that this was a unilateral decision made by the U.S. government. Um, a lot of the groups that we talked to said, well, they could fight this and, and they haven't. The ACLU has taken up this case and we know that they have 11 people that they're working with. So we, there's 104 cases that we're aware of at this moment in time that have already went to go um, seek asylum. They've give, been given the court date. So the ACLU is um, is is challenging the process, challenging this um, this this remain in Mexico uh, practice. And um, I'm not sure. I wasn't able to speak with anybody from ACLU before we're to, before today. Um, and I certainly will. But uh, we eagerly we're very happy that they are challenging uh, this practice, and uh, we think that it goes against everything that the asylum law is meant to do. Um, it increases vulnerabilities. So I hope um, I hope there's a good outcome. And I hope that this actually can change the, the precedences that have been adapted by the Trump administration. So so just to recap, so, so there's uh, like over 140 people have been able to make their asylum claim, but thousands more you suspect are just waiting in waiting. Tijuana yeah. to be able to sort of wait in line to present their asylum claim. Um, so these numbers of, of asylum seekers will only increase because they're just sort of waiting their turn to present that claim. Yes, correct. So um, I, I guess a, a couple of, of, of quick questions on that point, like uh, from your trip. So who are some, can you tell these individual stories of, of people you met um, that are sort of in that position, in that kind of limbo right now that are, you know, waiting in shelters or perhaps the shelters are overfilled, filled. So they're sort of waiting on the streets or sleeping out in the open, waiting to present their, their asylum claim. Like, who are these people? Yeah. So, you know, we've met lots of people from, I, I've met lots of people that have um, joined the caravans. So we were in Mexico City in November, AFSC sent a delegation of 11 people um, to Mexico City uh, to try to humanize um, the, the to, to counter the media that we were hearing at that time about who made up the caravans. So, you know, the people that I met, it's it's a I met a young woman with three children, um, and she 
had a, a, another child who was killed by violence in Honduras, and she was fleeing because she felt that it was the only way that she could protect her children. Uh, we met, we've met young men who um, were being recruited into gangs and felt like if they stayed uh, in Guatemala, El Salvador, or Honduras, they would have no choice but to join a gang to earn a living for their family. Uh, we met a young woman um, who, Soraya, who was uh, speaking out against the government of Honduras as an activist, and she fled with her young daughter because she felt that it wasn't safe for her because she was critical of the government and that she was at risk for being for being killed. Uh, I was with a partner who um, who supported unaccompanied minors. And this is this is the part that's really um, that's really upsetting. I mean, a, a lot of it is upsetting, but there was, um, you know, young young men who were uh, trying to to migrate because they were at risk from being uh, recruited to, into a gang and um, they were staying in a shelter um, and and you know they they are not a, they don't know the context of Tijuana they didn't know anybody there went out and and met met um, somebody who said oh well I have an opportunity for you to make some money uh, the, some of the cartels are going to Tijuana to recruit vulnerable people um, and and whatever ended up happening, these young people who were in Tijuana for two or three weeks were killed. Mm-hmm. So homicides are increasing. Uh, the risk of, of sex trafficking and, and recruitment into organized crime is really high. Uh, it's really a vulnerable space. Uh, and and the, there are really amazing people in Tijuana who are volunteering at shelters. You know, we met people who were working 12 hours cooking meals for 400 people. So, so you do have this really generous outpouring of support uh, from from community. You have increased vulnerabilities from organized crime uh, who are are looking for vulnerable people who have nowhere to go. Um, it's one important thing to note is that there's also, um, right now, the Mexican government issues, issues, issues humanitarian visas, should you want it. So that means that somebody could say, you know what, I'm going to make a make a go for it in Tijuana. I, I feel safe here. I don't want to go to the United States or I can't go to my home country because it's because I, I'm in danger. So I'm going to stay here. I'm going to try to work. I'm going to try to you know earn a living, find it, find a place to live. So they'll issue visas for up to a year and, and they're renewable up to four times. Uh, and then you could apply for residency and act- and then citizenship. That will allow you to stay in Tijuana. Well, that seems reasonable. It does seem reasonable. Uh, however, we are now hearing that those visas are not going to be an option. Uh, and there, there is a, a fear from civil society um, that those visas will no longer uh, be, be a, a, available. That there's, there is- so, so Mexico, because uh, Mexico has... Um, accepted initially for, from the earlier uh, migrant caravans, they've accepted um, some migrants for sort of re- resettlement in Mexico. That's right. Uh, but you're saying that um, these, the promise of these visas that could lead a path towards like permanent resettlement in Mexico um, is no longer a, a, an option or that the government may be withdrawing uh, that offer? 
is under consideration. And there was a lot of fear from the civil society partners that we met with that it would be removed. Uh, a lot of the shelters have have had their federal funding removed this year. So um, so it seems like that there is some collusion, you know, going on between the federal governments of, of the U.S. And, and, and Mexico. I mean, um, what you seem to be describing a situation in which local individuals, local civil society, and, and probably even like local government are kind of rising to the occasion to try to take care of a humanitarian crisis in their city, but are losing support from, from the, the federal government. That is what it seems to me. Yep, that, that that that's what we're hearing and that's what we're seeing. Um, I guess then, like, what are the implications of of the fact that you know this um, influx of individuals from south of Mexico border from Central America um, are just again kind of creating this bottleneck in Tijuana, and, and presumably this could be if this pilot program succeeds, they'll implement it in other places as well, like you know maybe Juarez across from El Paso yeah. or, or or other kind of large cities. Um, like, what are the implications you see of this um, pilot program expanding to other places? Well, it would be devastating. I mean, it would be devastating to Mexico. It would be devastating to border communities. Um, it would be empowering to criminal elements. It would empower um, organized crime who who now have people who are vulnerable along the border um, waiting, just waiting. And they can't work. So when they wait for the court date, they, mo most of them do not have at that point a humanitarian visa. So they get a date 30 to 90 days uh, ahead of the date that they have the court date. And they they just, they wait in shelters um, and, and they, they, they sit, it's cold. So it, it's a humanitarian crisis. Uh, it would be devastating to the border. And it's just, it's, it is, it's illegal. So I think it's something, you know, we really have to, organizations like AFSC and our allies uh, have to do everything we can to amplify the voices of the shelters and civil society in Tijuana and in, in, in Juarez and El Paso and the communities where something like this could happen to say, it is on, it's our moral obligation as the United States of America to hear these asylum cases. This is, it's a, it's a well, precedent. Not just moral obligation, but probably a legal, legal obligation too. <laughs> yeah, know? moral and legal. Well, we, we do see that there's been some get arounds. Uh, with, well, with, yeah, I mean, I, it just seems like like the, the situation you're describing just seems to be like the next iteration of a policy from the Trump administration that seeks to increase hardships for would-be asylum seekers in order to deter they're, um, you know, making the, 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 the trek in the first place, whether it's the, um, separation of children from their families at the border or, or now this. I mean, it seems that the policy of like maximum cruelty is yeah. one in which like, you know, has like a very specific outcome in mind, which is to, you know, deter, um, people from seeking asylum. Without a doubt. I mean, we, and we do see that, uh, the, unprecedented illegal actions by the Trump administration is actually intending to push the border further south. So, so all of the implications of the 
the actions that have been taken, it, it really is, it's now becoming incumbent on the Mexico government to try to keep people out at the border of Guatemala. But without the resources, without addressing root causes of why people are leaving, uh, it's just, it, 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 it's a disaster waiting to happen. And it's not a disaster at our border. It's a disaster in Central America, um, where you're going to continue to see this mi- migration is not going to stop. And, you know, the, the power of the caravans is that there was safety in numbers. Um, you know, people were fleeing really untenable, violent situations and were finding that they could travel safely in a group of uh, hundreds to thousands. And actually, there was there was some power in negotiating with with um, with border patrol and authorities and in, in, in the along the route. So I can't see that that this method is going to go away. And uh, there needs to be another way to, to approach it. I don't know if you saw a few days ago. Um, there was an announcement from the Department of Homeland Security that there was a regional compact that had been signed uh, with the Northern Triangle uh, government officials. We haven't seen uh, any details on what that means, but it does look like it would mean further militarization of the borders, pushing those borders down uh, you know, between actually Mexico and Guatemala. Um, uh, you know, really an increased militarized approach to stopping migration and to not respecting asylum process and law. Well, Carrie, you got me all fired up. Thank you <laughs> for your time. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm riled. Um, thank you. This is, this is very helpful. Good. Well, I hope that you keep following this because, you know, last week in March, I think that's when we're really going to have to see what happens from those first cases mm-hmm. when they go to trial and, and and where will they go after that? So, um, yeah, thanks for paying attention to this. I, I really enjoy your podcast, and, and thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being a listener, too. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Okay. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Carrie Kennedy. That was helpful and upsetting. And as I said at the outset, this one got me really riled up. And, yeah, if you want to help me spread the word about this horrible issue, you can uh, just share this this podcast, share this episode on social media and beyond, and do go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to uh, learn how to get involved with the work of the American Friends Service Committee. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.